podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. One week, one week to go until the final season of Game of Thrones is on air. And we are previewing it on this special episode of Buzz uh, Got Season 8 Preview. And I have, obviously, the man who's been talking to me about Game of Thrones on this podcast for the last two episodes with me again. It's Scott Chatner. He has an R in the middle of that as well, like the writer of the actual books <laughs> so scott how are you doing bud you all right i'm doing great just one art not two like george <laughs> yes. just one just one but still and we have um one of the the, the former hosts of the ai movie night pod because that's gone now but we have buzz but i'm sure you'll be doing some of these buzz buzz pods and hosting them as well jessel it's jessel padania at jessel tv on twitter jessel how you doing mate yeah, I'm fine. Thanks, Gags. How are you doing? I'm very good. Are you looking forward to, to watching GOT? Oh, I can't wait. I mean, I remember recording the um, the last season's podcast with you and Nina, and there it's just go. amazing. Like, uh, that was two years ago now almost. And, oh, um, it's been so I, long. Yeah. So everyone's kind of really fiending for the, the last season and uh, can't wait to discuss this preview. Absolutely. It is a phenomenon. This show has turned into a crazy thing, but it didn't start that way, Scott, did it? Can you give us some numbers, really, of what happened with this? Because I think, you know, you, you did some research on this for us, didn't you? Yeah, using the good old Wikipedia machine. <laughs> you know, take the numbers for what you will, but hey, come on, people review it. But yeah, I mean, it's it's funny to look back on, you know, Game of Thrones started as kind of this cult thing, you know, it was talked about as, oh, it's Lord of the Rings, but, you know, as Ian McShane described it, but with tits and dragons. Um, but when you look at it and start with, you know, it was kind of a small viewership in the U.S. It was 2.52 million to start out in season one, and but you started to see a creep into pop culture you know i remember seeing it for the first time when on the office dwight was dressing up as dothraki and they started to weave in references i'm like what is this but it grew and grew and grew and then at the end of season three you know with the red wedding it got close to five million and then by the end of season seven you're talking 10.26 million people watching average each episode on average so i mean it's become one of these last great big tv shows that everybody's watching it's going to be appointment television i mean i know people that had never seen game of thrones and i'm like i have to watch it because if i i can't miss out on it because everybody is just waiting to see what happens at the end absolutely and you know jessel what did you what did you think um when you first started watching it because we didn't get your thoughts last week um, when we did the other two shows when you when did you first start watching it as a as a nice introduction for you into this into this podcast yeah well i started watching it after season three so i kind of like to let 
shows prove themselves because otherwise kind of you, you, do you know what i mean it's like let, let it just have a couple of seasons and see how it goes and i could see the zeitgeist kind of increasing year on year and and uh, reaching this tipping point so i thought okay let me give it a try it's a bit slow to start with but then i got into it and then just blazed through it and thought wow this is amazing and then after that it was truly a week by week appointment but interestingly i had a dinner party last night and i was the only person there who had actually watched Game of Thrones, like no one else had. So it's kind of bizarre. I think sometimes kind of the people you hang around with or Twitter and excuse the numbers a bit, and you kind of realize there's still a long way for it to go. Sometimes people wait until the whole thing is finished and then just watch the whole thing. So I don't know. Like, I mean, I'd be interested to know when you guys started watching it, if you watched it from the start or what your circles are like in terms of their game of throne involvement i'm disappointed that you haven't listened to the first two shows because you would have known but um <laughs> I, I will i will say this much they, that... they were 50 hours longer <laughs> you know? in fact they, we kept him down to an hour and hour 15 didn't we uh, scott we <laughs> were supposed to do one each. and we yeah they, we were supposed to do one but they got when well, it got expanded into two two hours 20 total but um <laughs> I think we've answered the other two, which is similar to you, actually, for myself as well. Uh, but I'm with you. I actually agree with you. I think there's a lot of people that still haven't watched it. And at work, the, there's a whole load of people around me that haven't watched it at all. And I try to speak to them about it. And then I'm just totally disappointed that I have nobody at work to talk to about GOT. And it kills me i'll be honest it really does so uh, yeah uh, but i have podcasts to do this this is why i have these shows to get yeah. my nerdiness out <laughs> see but, i was like yeah, the opposite everybody all my friends at work pretty much watch it and i remember the day the trailer released for season eight because we've been waiting when is the trailer going to come out when's it going to come out every time they posted something online on twitter every reply is when release the trailer release the trailer and I remember when it came out, I just opened up my office door, went to my next door neighbor and just walked into his room and just did a fist pump. And he knew immediately like what I was talking about. So but yeah, I mean, it's it's been pretty big in the US. I mean, during the Super Bowl, there was the the Bud Light commercial with the Bud Knight and they inter they had the Game of Thrones tie in with the mountain and a dragon. I mean, it's it's becoming a big thing. There's still plenty. Of people. I mean, it's I mean, it's not like the old days, like 40 million. Some people watch the end of MASH or, you know, talk about Friends or Seinfeld. But it's about as big as it gets in today's culture. I mean, 12 million people watch the season seven finale i mean there aren't shows left like this where you know you think about we love things like stranger things but you know these are when you have these episode dumps or these streaming shows it's not weekly appointment television and we're losing some of that and it's different you know you want to have things right away but this is really becoming a thing where people are like yes taking time out of your week to talk about it and it creates you know a really cool culture online to, and that's why we're here doing what we're doing right now i love what you said about it being pop culture now i went to watch a movie called shazam i'm hoping that we cover it on buzz soon i'm trying to find a guest the, the usual uh comic book guy that uh, i wanted to do it with joey is not interested at all in shazam does not want to <laughs> cover it at all and does not want to watch it at all so i'm stuck but um because i was hoping to get somebody who's who knows a little bit about the comics and stuff like that rather than the movie, but I'll probably just have to be a movie pod. But I really enjoyed it, and there's references to Game of Thrones in there. So, you know, it gets really Game of Thrones around here. And so people, people, you know, they they reference the type of show it is, in, and everybody understands it. And I was laughing my head off at that at that comic, you know. So um, when when people say that, just because of the, the betrayals and, and, and politics, you know, that go on. So... From my point of view, yeah, it's Scott. You're right. It's being pulled left and right into the John Snow. You don't know nothing, you know. 
things like that is just massive isn't it people say that to each other you know nothing gags you know or whatever people just using those lines to say to well, each how other. about the red wedding everybody yeah. says oh that's worse than the red oh that was uglier that was bloodier yeah. than the yeah. red wedding exactly. people who haven't watched the show have an idea of what the red wedding means and that that's and i think like you guys both said you started watching after season three but that's that's really the episode when it went from you know cult kind of cult classic or not classic since it's still on the air but kind of this niche audience and then that's really when it exploded and became you know almost ubiquitous i mean you know here in the u.s i know they were selling game of thrones whiskeys over in the uk by you guys but they sell beer you can buy shirts i mean i'm just looking around my office right now at home and i got a poster on the wall i have you know old beer bottles things like that you can buy anything you want i mean it's it's huge and like gag said it, it it's referenced so many times in in music uh, SNL just had a bunch of it over the weekend, Saturday Night Live. So it's it's crazy on how big it has spread and how popular it's become. It's a massive month for for uh, cinema goers and for TV lovers. It's it's uh, April is Endgame, Marvel Endgame, oh, and yeah. and Game of Thrones month. You know, it's just that amazing time over Easter that's coming. That's going to be. Just oh my god! I'm going to be watching the first episode of Game of Thrones like three or four times. <laughs> I might have to do a pod with you guys while I'm on holiday in Spain. So yeah, keep your ears. <laughs> I'm sure your that. family will love that. Yeah, when they're asleep, they can do that in the morning, first thing early. <laughs> but you'll have to be up till late, uh, Scott. But yeah, let's break down the the trailer then, shall we? The um, I mean, it's mostly filled with the Winterfell scenes because we know that's going to be the hub now, don't we? Scott, where everything's going to happen? Yeah, I mean, Game of Thrones is, you know, the creators and showrunners know what they're doing. They've said they wouldn't even want to release a trailer if they didn't have to. But you just, you have to do it in today's down age. But now, you know, I think even when you're talking about Avengers Endgame, the, you know, the, the runners there, they try to release trailers that aren't going to spoil too much. They know they have to give you something. And that's why you see a lot of Game of Thrones trailers in the past few seasons have been mostly early in the season they'll give you stuff from the early part now with a such such shortened season of only six episodes and you know there's been so much publicity about that huge battle you know entertainment weekly did a huge expose on it you know from what they could tell but it sounded like the most grueling thing any of those actors had done they filmed for 11 weeks at night in the mud it was cold they one of all they said is one of the famous actresses on the show passed out from filming. They wouldn't even tell you who it was. I'm sure we'll find out later. But that just comes to show how big this battle is going to be. And I think you see that in the tension that kind of builds over the course of the trailer. And, you know, you get a little bit of King's Landing, but most of it is at Winterfell at night. There's fires. You know, you see people looking pretty um, in distress, especially Arya. I mean, Jossel, what did you note from the trailer? You guys going to hate me. I do not watch trailers. I've said this publicly now for about three years. I refuse to watch trailers of, of these kind of things for exactly the reasons that you detailed, because I just feel like it spoils like any kind of surprise element. And sometimes, well, I was listening to the, uh, the Us movie podcast that you did, Gags, and uh, and then it revealed that the trailer actually spoiled some of the, the actual secrets from the film and things like that. And I'm like... Uh, so I, I've just had this thing now for about three years. I just refused it. And it keeps me so fresh going into... It did not. Um, it did not. What what Iqbal did, what Icky did with that... <laughs> with, I've never seen anybody ever... He is one of the biggest fans of Jordan Peele, you'll find, right? So what he did was he... And he's a filmmaker himself, Jessel. So this is the thing. 
he is so passionate about filmmaking and he was so looking forward to this film that he was just piecing that trailer, all the trailers together. And he'd watched them so much that he knew what was going to happen because of some of the scenes that hadn't turned up throughout the film while he was watching it. So that was the reason why he did it. For for someone who doesn't have that passion uh, and watches the trailer once or twice, like we have maybe three times, but not 50, 100 times and slow-mo piece it together, I don't think it spoils it. I really don't. Yeah. It, it, that's, that's fair enough. The, but, I mean, it enhances the, the excitement for it for me. And yeah. I think they're clever that they don't give too much away. Now, Jordan Peele did not think somebody would go through his trailer piece by piece and watch it a hundred times. <laughs> Let's be honest. I don't think anyone does, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I do think that it's okay. I, I don't think that people will want to, if you're passionate about your show, there's no way you're giving it all away in a trailer. Do you get me? Oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's a complete personal choice. Like I haven't even seen the Avengers Endgame trailer because it's a conscious decision not to watch it. And I'm sure they don't give away the whole, you know, oh, the whole you're thing. missing out because you, you, you'll explode with excitement if you watched it. The last one, especially. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, that's but, the thing. It's like Scott true. was saying, like the, 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 the makers, like if you, you know, if what Scott was saying is they didn't even want to release a trailer really. And you can understand that because they want to keep that surprise element, I guess. I mean, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I think in, in they go they've gone really far, you know, in the Avengers world with the Infinity War show, they literally put scenes in the trailer that weren't in the movie. You know, there's the scene with like Hulk running that wasn't. So they they actually throw red herrings. I don't think Game of Thrones did anything like that. Break these down frame by frame. I mean, on the Ringer, the Benjamin guys, they spent an hour plus breaking down a two minute trailer. So I mean, they these you know when you have these movies and shows, you do have to be careful about not giving away too much. But like Gag said, I, I think. You know, what this does is it teases a little bit of the early parts of what we're going to see in the season. You know, uh, everybody's at Winterfell. Almost most of the major characters are there. You know, so everybody's going to play a role in the battle. You know, Melisandre's there. Grey Worm's there. Jonah or Jorah. And, you know, one of the big things I saw is, you know, Gendry was, you know, swinging a hammer, which is cool to see. You know, are we going to get some Valyrian steel? You know, there, there are so many characters that haven't, you know, either met up yet, but they have these pieces of knowledge. You know, Sam could come together with Gendry, take the knowledge from the Citadel to help forge the Valyrian fire or steel, you know, using some of what they know. But it really builds that anticipation. I mean, most of the scenes are at Winterfell, except for one key one that I noted, Gags, I'd like to see what you thought about it, where that scene where uh john and danny are walking up to the two dragons and i mean it's very interesting two oh dragons God. two possible writers i mean how great would that be well it's it's not possible it's guaranteed <laughs> it's guaranteed there's no doubt in my mind that she's gonna give him a dragon whether he tells her or not i don't know that, that's the other thing isn't it i mean we're gonna preview is does he does he, i mean we might as well mix it in here since the question's here do you think he's going to tell her? Because the guy is so honourable. The guy is so, maybe has so much pride. Do you think he will even tell her who he is because it's going to become incest? Jessel, would you think he would do that? I mean, we discussed it a couple of years ago that in that side of the family, incest isn't this big thing and it's kind of expected in certain veins. or well, not but, expected, but, 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 but it's, a, but it's not that a big thing. But that was a different era, right? This is a different era where they are looking down upon the Lannisters. 
but maybe their hand will be forced. Maybe they've already had sex, right? So maybe she's already pregnant and she thinks she can't get pregnant. And, you know, I'm, I mean, we'll get into that later, but I'm, the odds are pretty high that she's going to have a kid or at least be with child. So I don't know. I, I, it could be this whole thing of getting back to the dragons where she's in trouble on a dragon and he's like, shit, I've got to get there. And he jumps on the dragon, just hoping it will fly and it will do and things like that. I mean, what do you guys think? Well, the scene in the trailer is pretty casual. I mean, they're just, I mean, there's no real distress to it. I mean, now there could be, you know, clever editing sometimes, you know, if those scenes aren't linked up, but they really seem like they're linked up. You you see them and, and also where they're at is out in the middle of nowhere with snow. It seems like it could even be north of the wall. Like I think there, there's some, there's more to come that they're not telling us. We know there's a big, going to be a big battle at Winterfell. One of the director, Miguel Sapochnik, who did Battle of the Bastards and whatever, he, all the big battles episodes, he's going to be in episode three so it's probably coming episode three sorry jessel you're gonna get some spoilers by the way but <laughs> no, that's you okay. know that being on the on the pod but it, it seemed pretty you know like wasn't like a surprise it seemed very much you know they knew what it was about to happen and i think the reveal of john's parentage is going to be something that they just don't have so much time left so that it seems like they're gonna they're gonna have to get into it right away and, and no, i think that's gonna be that because scott i do think that they might drag it a little bit more just because the build of it to tell her is now going to kill us. And a good filmmaker, good television show maker has given the, has given the, the viewer the information now. But remember, then bringing that across to everybody is so slow burn, even when the wars are going and it's going to pop up somewhere, Jessel, I reckon, where it's just monumental. I don't think it will be in Winterfell. I don't think you'll just go up to her and say, yo, Auntie, how you doing? <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna give birth to my nephew. You know what? What the fuck? I mean, to my, to my cousin. No, it's not gonna work that way. It just isn't gonna. Happen. Personally, I don't think it will. I think he's gonna be dead shy about it. I think he's gonna know. He's gonna be shocked when he finds out. For me, that's the big thing. I don't care when Danny. I do care when Danny finds out, but I care more when he finds out. That he's not a bastard. I care more when he, his reaction to, I'm, I need to be here. I, I deserve to be here. I deserve that dragon. Like, for example, I don't think there'll be all the doubts in himself will be gone. Cause I still think he does doubt himself as a character. I think the build, the way they've built him, he still does doubt himself a little bit because of his past and because of his cloud over, over, you know, the legitimacy of him. But when that's gone, I think you might just find a real leader. Yeah, I also think there's going to be quite a lot of time to play with because even though there are only six episodes, they're each going to be around, you know, around two hours long or something. Like, I guess once you factor in um, adverts. Ads, yeah. <laughs> ad, well, the first, yeah, two exactly. are, the first two are an hour and a half with adverts, so 60 minutes each. And then the other, the other four are 90 minutes each runtime. Yeah. So mad. So, so, I mean, I'm guessing if you compare the whole season that's coming time-wise compared to like your average you know one two three season or whatever it's not going to be that dissimilar there will yeah, be down eight, eight episodes and, of time i reckon yeah yeah so i mean if if the battle is going to be around sort of episode three and stuff like that there's you know I, I think how they've always traditionally done it is they have the the big battle in kind of like the penultimate episode or, or the one before that and then the final one or two episodes are the fallout from it and setting up for the next season and obviously in this case there's the climax coming but I, I think anyone expecting some sort of real fireworks kind of 
neatly tied bow on the climax, it will be disappointed because it's just not going to be like that. I can't see it being like that. This is Game of Thrones. I mean, you know, it's it's like um, it's like you were saying earlier. If you don't get these kind of like neat endings, a happy ending, anything like that. So I think that there will be this huge battle. There might even be one or two battles, really. You just don't know. And then everything will fall apart and it will be us up to us to kind of piece it back together again week by week. And that will be part of the fun, probably, you know. Yeah. Scott, I think she may even die without knowing. Oh, I, I think there's a 0% chance of that. You never know, I, because I, this is I, Game I of Thrones. How can you say uh, that? This is Game of Thrones. They want, you to, they want you to squirm. Dude, they want you to squirm. How could she not know? How the world knows? How could she not know? I think a couple of reasons. One, just knowing some of the characters. We know that Sam knows now who John's true parents are, you know, because he had that conversation with Bran. Sam is not going to wait to, I mean, he's not going to, it's not going to be the first thing he says. I mean, there's going to probably be a very touching reunion. I mean, there's going to be so many cool reunions at Winterfell when everybody gets there. But so, but Sam is going to have to tell him after a while because it's the type of person he is. And then John, once he finds out that information, that John doesn't deceive people. Now, that would be a very interesting twist if that was the one thing that he wasn't re- willing to be honest about. But I don't think he's going to – I mean it might be an episode or two, maybe even after the battle. But I just can't see the show ending without them knowing. Plus, there was a cool scene in the trailer where you see John. It looks like John and Danny are in the crypts of Winterfell. And he looks – well, it's hard to say because John's always kind of brooding and, and looking forlorn. But he's kind of looking at the ground and she comes up. Maybe that's the moment. Now, how early that is. But, you know, it could be later. But I, I just – I think that that's an emotional arc that they're certainly John's going to have to to reconcile that because that's the, that's one of the big reasons why John had that conversation with Theon. I, want, at, at I, I actually want God to give me pain. I want it to. <laughs> I want it to be sad. I want it to be. I want it. No, not that way. I just think the the ones that hit you the hardest and make you feel something are the best shows. The ones that make you give a shit about something and think, man, why didn't they? What they stay with you forever. Whereas if it's all happy and you forget about it quick. And I don't mind a show if it's written well to give me something that I really wanted. But it makes sense that it didn't. You know, and it would be fine for me if, you know, he's too shy to tell her or something because it's like him. And she dies before, or whatever, he dies before, or whatever. It would be it would be the Romeo Juliet thing, you know. So I wouldn't mind it. It would be interesting. But we know that Jessel hasn't watched the trailers. So we're going to quickly go through a couple of more characters, yeah? Uh, Scott and Jessel yeah. can jump in with uh, what he thinks will happen. So Arya's next up, uh, running through the, it looks like it's in Winterfell, the crypts. I thought it was, uh, down below, uh, she's scared, which is quite surprising for Arya to be scared of anybody. Um, so what do you think is going to happen there? Yeah, I mean, I thought that was maybe the most jarring part of the whole trailer is because it starts with her cool call, you know, her kind of her, her assassin's chill where she talks about, you know, she's seen many faces of death and she looks forward to seeing this one and she's holding the dragonglass dagger. But then we see the scenes of her running. It looks like she's got a cut above her, her eye bleeding. And she's, it looks maybe through the crypts. Maybe it's just through some of the halls of Winterfell. I mean, that's where it seems like, you know, maybe foreshadowing, you know, some, maybe that Winterfell gets overrun to some part. Maybe that's from later in the, the series. I mean, if it's not at Winterfell, is she trying to kill Cersei in King's Landing and running from guards or something? I don't know, but the something faceless, is going to happen. The faceless men yeah. thing? You know, could be they could be coming after her. I don't yeah. know. They, I mean, well, they'd let her go so easily. I mean, that's something that maybe she might have to, um, 
face the consequences. You know, maybe they just don't feel good about members just, you know, waltzing off, killing one of their own and then saying, yeah, I'm, I'm out. So I'll take your training. Thanks. And I'm out of here. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, some people have speculated, well, maybe, you know, if it's the Crips of Winterfell, the White Walkers will bring some of the dead back from the, you know, to life and there'll be whites. I mean, that seems a little, little, you know, army of the dead type thing, a little cheesy, but we have no idea. I mean, that, so I think that's a, a true question. I mean, there's a lot of guesses, but I don't think anybody has a good handle on it, what exactly she's running from there. Yeah. And before I get to Jessel, we're just asking a question about Arya. The one thing that I loved in the, the advert was when she sees Drogon fly over her head at Winterfell and she's just in awe of this dragon. Everything they've been talking or been taught or heard about when they were kids, she just sees this dragon fly over her head and goes, oh my God, that's on my side. Wow. You know, like a proper wow moment for her. And that is that is what would happen to anybody, right? But um, just so she's got this list, right? She's got this list. Who do you think is next? Let's preview that. Uh, Who do you think is next on that damn list? Will she go after Jamie Lannister? Do you think is he was he on the list? I uh, I think well, I mean the odds are pretty high that he's on the list, but I mean Cersei is probably her number one target. But she's and... far away. What I'm meaning is all these people are getting together in one place. Does she stab someone in the back? Does she do it that way, or could she? I I think she's kind of got quite honourable in a way, even though she's a complete sociopath psycho killer um so it's kind of like she she's sort of bound by certain rules and she wants that satisfaction of killing someone face to face i reckon um but she's not going to get things all her way you know like it's interesting that you've mentioned that she's got a scratch on her head or something i mean that could be anything when you said that my mind started racing and i was like oh my god it could be this it could be that maybe she got you know done by one of the dragons like the ice dragon or it could be a direwolf gone wrong or something like that but in in terms of who she's going to kill. I mean, there are so many people. Who's left? Um, the Hound. I mean, is she does she want to kill the Hound? Um, there's the mountain. the mountain. Yeah, there's the mountain. She could definitely, I mean, I'd run from the mountain. Um, Cersei, Jamie. I mean, I think we'll get to it later, but I think there are a lot of theories that have been going around Jamie for a long time about him and Cersei. So, uh, or it could be someone closer to home. You know, it could be like a big family dispute that goes wrong. There will be time to play with these things. We just don't know. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, uh, next one then, Scott. Uh, loads of other stuff going on because obviously I don't know where, whether if Melisandre is coming back or not. Uh, but Davos is going to be there. There's Grey Worm, Gendry, Missandei. All these, there's so many things going on <laughs> that you know. There's so much going to. There's so many people that are going to be there. It's going to be mental. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's one of the best parts about Game of Thrones is, yes, the battles are all cool, and everybody thinks about, well, what are your favorite episodes? A lot of them do involve battles, but some of the best parts are what really makes the show in a lot of ways is what, you know, Tyrion kind of talked about in season six, you know, history is filled with people talking in beautiful rooms, and I think you're going to have so many pairings, some we've seen before, you know, there's going to be reunions, you know, Tyrion and, and Jamie might get back together. Or what about when John finally sees Arya again? That's going to be amazing. But you're also going to see, you know, some combos that we didn't never had before because you just 
aren't going to, we haven't had moments like these, except maybe, you know, the end of season seven with dragon and the wolf. And, you know, when they were in the dragon pit at the, you know, at the, the summit, you just have so many characters in one spot. And I think that's, what's going to fill, you know, the first and second episodes when we're at Winterfell, it's just all these, these interactions between characters, you know, old and new. So I think that'll be really, that'll be really cool. And that'll kind of give us that emotional, you know, weight that kind of sets up the battle. And now there's probably going to be more than just, you know, two episodes of buildup, you know, just waiting to get to the battle of Winterfell. There'll be more to it than that. But I think that's what the trailer kind of gets me excited for. It's not just the battle. The battle will be awesome. I'm sure we'll be talking about it for years to come, but it's, it's those scenes that we don't know yet. And they haven't told us, you know, cause we didn't only really got so much in the trailer, but it's, it's those interactions between just dozens of, you know, like a dozen characters, basically, I think it'll be pretty uh, enjoyable, even though, you know, that's only half the world and there's still more to come within King's Landing and things like that. Absolutely. There's so much, there's so many people. It would take ages to go through all of them. So, um, Jessel, what, I mean, it's going to be a, a unbelievable mixing of all the stories again, isn't it? They, these people are going to have to work together um, after crossing paths so much and i think a lot of them are going to find out i'm i'm more interested about their their reaction to finding out little finger was killed <laughs> all these a tragedy that, that is the biggest tragedy of game of thrones little finger as i said like a couple of years ago i really hoped he would be on the iron throne i thought it would be you know all snark aside i thought it'd be really fascinating to have someone who's such a manipulative machiavellian um like you know string puller behind the scenes who just knew everything and and i just thought it'd be so funny if he actually ended up on the iron throne which is um obviously not going to happen now but it, it there will be a lot of people celebrating and it was amazing the way that the starts got rid of him last time and um but yeah in terms of the the interactions between oh there's just so much it just makes your head spin just thinking about it you know like i'm currently kind of re-watching the whole thing as as um as we're sort of building up to it and it, when you when you've got this benefit of hindsight it's like wow and then you think about the kind of character histories and how they're going to intermingle and, and the kind of grudges that they hold for various reasons and there are so many grudges it's just unbelievable so will will they just be forced to be on one another's side because the white walkers are coming and and they've got no other options they will argue they'll want to kill each other but then that's it they've got no other option and then once that battle is over will they just go back to wanting to kill each other basically in the last two or three episodes and then that's how you kind of get to the the um the climax of who sits on the iron throne i mean what do you guys think about that well i think that's some the one of the biggest questions of, of the season will it be you know what should the show end with? Because they, they've been putting the White Walkers and the Night King, this is the true enemy. This is the debtor coming for the living and, you know, the squabbles of who sits in the ugly iron chair. Is that really that important? But, you know, aside from some brief, brief glimpses, we really haven't seen nearly any as much of the White Walkers as we have from the humans. I mean, it's the human conflict. That's the interpersonal. You talked about all those grudges, all the bitter relationships, all the hurt you know, the family disputes. I mean, all that came up at the end of season seven and there's still so much to sort out. I mean, that's the true conflict of the show. You know, the, 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 the family politics or the, you know, the, you know, the dynasties, the houses. So, I mean, that's why I think it's, I think they really ultimately probably deal with some of the white Walker stuff. I mean, that'll be the first half. And then I think the second half will be, you know, dealing with Cersei and, 
and what's to come down below. Because down south in King's Landing, I mean, she's got 20,000 soldiers coming from Esso. She's got the Golden Company, and we saw that in the trailer very, very briefly. But it'll be interesting to see if, you know, Cersei pulls off a master stroke or she gets betrayed by Euron and her own people. So, I mean, that's what was very cool about the, the trailer, you know, aside from the Winterfell stuff, is you see Cersei looks happy, and then she also looks sad and drinking again. What does that mean for the baby? Was there a miscarriage? Was it true all along? I don't know what you guys said. If you know, if you think Cersei was deceiving everybody in season seven, not just about you know trying to join the John and Danny alliance, or she was also faking the pregnancy. It's a weird one. Uh, Jess, I'll go with you first. Well, I I wouldn't believe a thing Cersei says. Basically, <laughs> yeah, it's just as simple as that. She she's just an absolute master a liar and manipulator, and she will do anything to hold on to power. And you know, like you said, she's got the Golden Company coming, and and at this point, her life has been stripped away from her. You know, child by child, husband by husband, mm-hmm. and and she's really isolated. And yet, she just wants to grab onto this power and this kind of the last vestiges of. Of, of you know anything like anything that makes sense to her so is she pregnant i don't know I, I mean there could be a kind of a duopoly between her and her being pregnant and um and danny being pregnant you know you could have two pregnant women kind of vying for the same kind of thing i, I don't know it could, maybe it could be that something like that and then then their paths kind of cross and then you know what, I mean, what do you think about that go ahead scott yeah, I mean, I think that we've kind of mentioned it before. It even if you look at some of the odds on who says something like Iron Throne, which we'll talk about later. I mean, John and Danny's kid seems like you know they're, it's pretty high up on the list. I mean, it really does feel the symmetry of the show. You know about how it, it, you know the book series is called A Song of Ice and Fire, and John is really a song of ice and fire. He's ice, Starks, fire, Targaryens, and you know if him and Danny have a child, it'll be interesting to see. You know. Do they skip ahead and the child is born, but Danny dies? Or what if John sacrifices himself, you know, so that Danny can live with the child and then it becomes his way of atoning? You know, he never had a mother. So it, you're got, you got to know his parents, but he doesn't want his child to live the same life that he had to some extent. So it really feels like Danny and John, you know, you know, having set on the sex boat on the way from <laughs> Dragonstone up to, um, White Harbor and then on the way to Winterfell, it does feel like them having a kid would provide a very interesting symmetry because it would talk about whose dynasty is going to sit on the throne. Is it going to be the Lannisters or is it going to be the Targaryens? I mean, I, I just think that would be plus, you know, for John to find out Danny is pregnant, I think would create such a, a heavy emotional moment. I mean, yes, there is some time we're going to get about seven episodes worth of time not just six because they're so long but there's also not a ton of time so i feel like each episode is going to pack in a huge emotional punch and and that just seems like something nailed on that would really it would fit the narrative too i don't think it would be fan service i think it would fit in you know as kind of the capstone to the whole series yeah, I think, I mean, if I could just jump in, I think that's really interesting. You've got my mind worrying again when you, you're saying that it might skip forward in time because so many shows recently that I've watched seem to just do that. You know, the last season or whatever, last few episodes, they will skip forward two, three years or something like that. And in this case, it doesn't even have to be that long. It could just be a year. And, and you're right, in that time, they could have had their children, um, you know, whether it's Cersei or Danny or whatever. And, and then someone else could have grabbed the power in the iron throne within that time and then 
that there's this sort of secret alliance forming against them and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, sometimes it's good to have a bit of space to let the chips fall and then you can see what the lay of the land is, I guess. Uh, I mean, what do you think about that, Gags? Yeah, I don't, I don't want it to go. I don't want it to go in the future at all unless it's the last, uh, last episode and everything's gone, gone ahead, you know, and things are gone. I don't want to see any for forward foreshadowing like that or, you know, none of that nonsense. I want it to be all battle fight right now. Only time I'm interested in anything kind of in the future is if there is like an air or whatever and they show how, you know, prosperity or something like that. Or if they show darkness of the, uh, of the, of the Night King, stuff like that. That's the only thing I'm interested in. It's at the end. I only want to know how it ends. I only want to know about the future when it's all done. But apart from that, I'm not worried. I'm, you know, I'm not too arsed. So I don't want it to be, I want it to be all in the there and now. Those characters are so important. They need all that time. They need all the focus. They need every single second invested on them. That is where the money is. That is where the storyline is. So I'd rather, I'd rather it be that way, you know? So, um, yeah. Um, there's a little bit about Gendry, Scott. Um, you know, I, I didn't really see too much of that in the in the, in the trailer. What did you see? I, I think I mentioned it before, just real quick. I mean, like I said, it looked like Gentry was swinging the sword, and you know, when you're having a battle against the White Walkers, you need two things primarily: the Dragon Glass and Valyrian Steel. And you know, the the Valyria in Game of Thrones kind of models, you know, ancient Rome. And when the fall of ancient Rome, so much knowledge was lost, and it took so long to get it back. Well, that's one of the things in you know, the world of uh, Game of Thrones is that people have lost how to make Valyrian steel. Now, you know, as we saw at the beginning of season four, when Tywin Lannister hired a, a smith to kind of melt down the Stark sword ice, their great sword, the Valyrian steel, to make two swords for the House Lannister, you know, you can work with it, but you can't make it. Well, we only have so many Valyrian steel swords, but they are making their way to Winterfell. We have Heartsbane with House Tarly. We obviously have um, Longclaw with John, and you have the dagger. And so you have these, some Valyrian steel is making its way to Winterfell, but it's not nearly enough. I mean, this is an army of tens of thousands. So it was just kind of maybe an interesting part to put in the trailer to have that. Now, it could be, you know, part of building up a battle scene. Anytime, you, you know, you saw, like, we talk about trailers with Avengers, you know, when you're having, when you're anticipating a big battle, you're going to have the preparation for a battle. Well, it's medieval, so you might have some smithing, but like I said, you're having a lot of characters just making their way and they're going to be in the same spot and they all know different things you know brand can see through time maybe he can get some knowledge maybe sam found something in the books and if they're able to make a little bit of larian steel eh, that'd be pretty cool i don't know if it'll necessarily happen but that's the thing there's there are, the trailer goes quick but there's little things you can pull out that you know because this world is so vast and dense it could mean a big a great deal you know in season eight Absolutely. I'm trying to skip through this. There's so much to go, but I think yeah. we've kind of covered a lot about Cersei and King's Landing and stuff. I don't want to spend too much more time there, Scott. So uh, let's go and talk about the remaining theories. And this is away now from the, the trailer. So Jessel, you're all in play here. Okay. You don't have to worry about any spoilers. So the first yes, thing is the Azor Azai. Yeah. Or Azor Ahai, Azai, whichever way you want to say it. The prince who was promised. The prince who was promised. So, who do you actually think that is? Uh, I'll go with Jessel first. Who do you think that is? See, part of me thinks that 
is there a kind of an element of commerce to this as well? And is there a kind of face of the show moving forward once it's finished? And if there is, it's got to be John or Danny, basically. I, I just don't realistically see anyone else being the prince who was promised or the princess who was promised. So for me, it's just got to be one of those two. I guess on a more narrative basis, you could potentially say Jamie, um, you know, if he ends up slaying his sister and becomes you know goes from the king slayer to the queen slayer then then that would be pretty interesting but i just think i think it's going to be pretty simple in that respect what happens to them might not be as simple i think that's where the, the kind of interest will lie but i mean what do you guys think yeah to pick up on what you said just about being jamie there's a when you read the, the books have more of the the prophecy in there or the legend now other than just you know this is the person who's going to lead us against the long night and when inside the books you know one of the things that the prince who was promised you know, in order to have the sword Lightbringer, which they talked about in season two that's when melisandre said oh this is stannis he's pulling the sword out of the fire it wasn't just that it was the prince who was promised actually stabs his wife with the sword and that's you know her that's how you get true lightbringer so i don't know what that kind of sacrifice would be on the show the only one that would make sense in that kind of way is jamie i mean it would take something really drastic it feels like for john to kill danny you know to to get this magical sword yeah, so but, but yeah, i mean that's the thing yeah, i don't think we're gonna get danny, the asking translation to do it. danny asking him to do it could be but then also they did come out with that season could seven reveal in Valerian, that the word for prince is equal to princess, right? Yeah, I mean that's the thing. So it could be Danny too. I mean it doesn't necessarily have to be a man; it could be a woman as well. And that that was an inch. And so I mean that's what's cool about the books too is that there are these little red herrings that they throw out from time to time. Is this prophecy true or is this prophecy true? So I mean. It does feel like John has the sacrifice in him. You know, he was ready to sacrifice himself at the battle battle of Winterfell. You know, battle of bastards, I should say. You know, he was he was ready to give his life. You know, he told Melisandre, "Don't bring me back if I die." I mean, he's always been ready to kind of sacrifice himself. So he has that kind of element to him. I think it's going to be bits and pieces. You know, I really we'll get maybe towards the end. I really do think it's probably Jamie is the one to kill Cersei, but I don't know if that means he's the prince who was promised. It it does feel like. It's going to be a combination, and it does feel right if Danny sits on the Iron Throne. But does Game of Thrones always end in the right way? It no. doesn't end in a happy note. So, but yeah, but it, it just feels like the Prince who was promised theory feels split. It doesn't feel like any one person really no, fits I, it. If it, we have to go yeah, by the rules, it felt like it was going to be John because the way he was brought back and all that stuff. But to me now, it doesn't. I don't think it would be as obvious as that anymore. I think John's reveals happened. I don't think there's going to be too much more for him in terms of. I think the focus is now going to be how do we get the world to know that he's the heir, you know, rather than, and that he's a half Targaryen. I, I, I don't think it's going to be that he's also the prince that was promised as well. Yeah, I agree. It, it doesn't, it, it probably seems too much on the head for it to be one particular person. It feels like there's going to be multiple people who have a role to play, you know, who, who, if they're going to defeat the White Walkers and save humanity from the long night, or, you know, endless winter, it's going to be more than just one person. Plus, you know, one of the things that we know outside the show is they're going to do a prequel and they've already talked about the prequel series is, yeah, you're, it's going to be about the long night, but it's going to be different than you think, because we're talking something that happened thousands of years ago. So over thousands of years, 
the story gets distorted. And what we think we know is not actually what we know. So I don't think we're going to have the hard and fast, you know, in order to be Azora High or the Prince Who Was Promised, they have to do one, two, and three. Nobody's probably likely to do hit all the things on the head. It's going to be a group effort. Absolutely. Uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, thing. But the, the next one, Jessel, is is a biggie. Is a biggie. Who is the Night King? <laughs> Oh, who is the Night King? Um, so <laughs> it's such a tough question. I know it, it is, and it's a weird one because I mean they're probably going to have to cover that pretty quickly, aren't they? Because then if the battle scene is coming with the Night King and stuff around, you know, episode three-ish or something, then I guess they're going to put quite a lot of work into that and into the first one or two episodes because otherwise we're not, you know. Why would we care? Like we obviously we've cared about it in the build up, but I think there has to be some big payoff and some big reveal in a way. So, I mean, my theory is that I think it will be Bran, um, you know, just sort of time traveling Bran, and and something's gone weird in the Matrix, basically. Uh, I mean, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I think we'll get to it when we talk about who's going to set the Iron Throne. But Bran is Bran's the number the the number one uh, you know, odds. Uh, favorite to sit the iron throne it's like well why would bran sit it well maybe bran could sit it as the night king and you know the thought is well maybe like you said something happened with time travel does he warg into the night king or does he set some or maybe everything that happened is something bran set in motion but that just feels like it would be very odd to do it that way it would be very sci-fi now not to say that lost didn't do it at the very end but i I don't know if they want to go that far into the fantasy element plus we did see the scene um, from season six about the creation of the White Walkers. Well, that they showed, you know, the human that the children turned into the first White Walker. That same actor plays the Night King. So it seems like maybe that would just be the easiest thing. It's like, yes, here's the first guy. This is the Night King. But, you know, there's also some threads there, like you said, with the time travel and how Bran kind of influenced, Hor- you know, he's the one that turned Willis into Hodor by, you know, warging into him. So maybe, you know, this is all because of something he did in the past. Yeah, I wouldn't put it outside Game of Thrones, but I think if you're going to do it, it has to be well-earned, and I think it's also got to be explainable to not just to people who look over every little detail from the show and the books, but it's got to make sense to you know casual viewers as well for something like that. Yeah, and I guess one could argue that... Um, sorry, I mean, sorry. just whilst I remember, one could argue that you might not want to know who the Night King is, mm-hmm. and maybe it's the whole point. This this kind of you know unseen or unheard of enemy and they're so mysterious, then keep that element of mystery and don't reveal who it is in any obvious way, I guess. Yeah, and we don't know what they want. I mean, but I think I saw an article recently, the showrunners talked about, you know, because people are asking, what's their motivation? If they're the big bad, whereas, you know, really Cersei seems to me the the true villain of the story. But if the White Walkers are the true villain, the true enemy, what is their motivation other than they're just trying to kill everybody? But that's the thing. The Night King was, or the White Walkers were created because the Children of the Forest were in a war I mean, they're an instrument of death, and that's what the showrunner said. They are death. That is what they're doing. They're just there to bring about death. So we may not get any great detail. We may never hear them speak or the Night King speak. It's just their death. And this is about, you know, what do we say to the god of death? Not today. So interesting. I just, again, it's one of them that I, how would how would they explain it being brand? That would just, that would be some fucked up kind of thing, you know? That would really be... Uh, a mind bender personally you know to go all the way around and how that would just just wouldn't make sense to me i don't think right now but um yeah the guy that you said talks about in season six that makes sense 
dragging glass into his chest and all that. That would that makes sense to me. But obviously, we need to know a little bit more about it. Maybe they're creating some more of these. Um, there's more Game of Thrones shows, aren't there? Prequels coming, so maybe they don't want to go anywhere near that just yet because he gets that kind of character gets his own show or you know gets to that point. So I, I like just as I said, they may not want you to know anything, and it stays the way it is because now they know that they've got so much other shit coming after after this. They've still got loads of stories to tell, loads of um, origin maybe stories to tell, uh, which will be interesting. Um, Scott, there's one more uh, theory here that I want you to intro. So can you talk about that? Yeah, and this is 100% my favorite theory, I think, because I think it'll have a big impact on how the show ultimately ends, and that's the Voluncar theory, which is Little Brother and Valerian. And we actually didn't get it in the show. Season five, which I thought is really nice on how it portrays, you know, it's kind of the season of Cersei. Season five starts with the flashback, the prophecy when young Cersei is with a friend and goes into the swamp and meets the the witch Maggie the Frog. And she tells her all about her children. She's going to have them. She's going to marry the king and they're going to die. And that she's going to be overthrown by a much uh, younger and lovelier queen. But in the books, they leave out the fact of how Cersei, in the books, Cersei die, is told in this prophecy that she's going to die from the little brother whose pale hands will squeeze around her throat. And, you know, kind of what's really cool about how the books do it and so the show does is that, you know, what is the, the prophecy, was it something that was always going to happen or is it because Cersei knew about the prophecy, she brought these things into action? I mean, all her choices, she brings about some of the death of her children. You know, she's so worried about Marjorie, but she, you know, and to get rid of Marjorie, she brings the high sparrow and all the sparrows and the faith militant on her. So it's a matter of choice and fate. Well, what's going to happen with the little brother? Because if we, if this is something that does come up in the show, well, who's the little brother that kills her? Is it, you know, she probably thinks it's Tyrion, just like she thought Marjorie was the true queen she had to worry about, whereas Daenerys might have been. Well, Jamie is technically her little brother as well. I mean, he's a twin, but she was born first. And that's where the, I love this theory, because if it is true and it does happen, yeah, Tyrion would make sense. He hates Cersei and that would be a natural person to kill her. But it just wouldn't be as tragic and poetic as if Jamie is the one to do it. And, you know, we, I think like Jessel said earlier, the Kingslayer, Queenslayer. I mean, there's so many things that they could do that would create a nice circle. There would be symmetry from past to present. And if it was Jamie, that seems like that would be the great way to end this end the series. Wow. What do you think about this theory then, uh, Jessel? I, I was just trying to do the maths in my head. I had, I'm having a bit of a blank moment because I was kind of like, if if Cersei's pregnant with, say, Jamie's child, then what would that make the child? Because what if the child killed Cersei? Like, what if she died in, in, in uh, giving yeah. birth? Yeah. So what... So that wouldn't be the little brother. I'm completely confused because I don't think about incest very much in my normal daily life. <laughs> I hope her, not. I hope none of us do. Although a Game of Thrones, you have to. not only be her son, it would be her nephew too. <laughs> okay, so son and nephew. Okay, so it's not little brother. Okay, fine. All right. Let's throw that out of the window. But um, yeah, so I think Tyrion, it would be great for him to have some of the action basically in like a really kind of over way but i mean i guess he killed his dad didn't he which was which was his big payoff in terms in terms of murder um and and you know she's just always been so mean to Tyrion, and Tyrion's had such a tough life and all throughout it's also been his journey in a lot of ways the way that john has kind of grown year on year 
Tyrion has gone around and just gained all this knowledge and all this, you know, incredible nous and he wasn't ready for it earlier on, but maybe he comes back and it is him who ends up sitting on the Iron Throne, you know, with him ousting Cersei. And, you know, uh, I think he's one of the best characters, definitely. If you're talking who are my favorite Game of Thrones characters and who would be like a great face of, you know, this is the one who wins it and is en- ending on the Iron Throne. I think he would be a great one, to be honest. So I'm I'm fully on board with him killing Cersei just generally. That's fine by me. So um, I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah, I mean, Tyrion would, like I said, it would make sense in the fact that they, they've always had this enmity for each other. But I think a lot of that is more just because of how much Cersei hated Tyrion. I mean, clearly she blamed him for the death of their mother because, you know, when Tyrion is born, you know, his birth caused uh, Tywin's wife to die. And everybody's, you know, Tywin blamed him for that. Clearly Cersei did. But Jamie didn't. Jamie's always had a soft spot for Tyrion. It just, but it seems like Tyrion, I mean, the reason why him killing Tywin was such, so earned and felt, so justified is because of just how much Tywin had plotted against Tyrion his whole life and and prejudiced him and, and was really sentencing him to die. Now Cersei did the same, but you know that scene that Tyrion and and Cersei have at the end of season seven. I mean, he, even then he talks about how much he loved you know Tommen and Marcella, and it, it feels that he's gotten past some of that. He wants to bring in a new world. He he doesn't think Cersei is right for it at all, and if she dies, I don't think he would shed a tear really, but. It just seems like the one who's going to take down Cersei, like I said, Jamie would be poetic and it would be that classic tragedy of this is the only woman he's ever loved where Cersei betrayed him. You know, maybe she betrays him again by going with Euron, you know, kind of like how she did with sort of like with Lancel Lannister. Or maybe, you know, she does something to Brienne that, you know, somebody else Jamie truly cares about. What if Cersei's forces kill Tyrion? Something that causes Jamie to have this hate in his heart and to kill her. Or maybe he realizes that he has to kill Cersei in order to bring peace to the realm, kind of like what he did with the Mad King. Um, the other one for me is it wouldn't fit into the Valonqar theory, but Arya would also be kind of poetic as well. I mean, it would be the final true enemy of House Stark. I mean, everyone else has gotten their comeuppets. Joffrey, Tywin, Roose Bolton, Ramsay Bolton, Walder Frey. I mean, winner came for pretty much came for all those guys. Really, Cersei is the last one who started the you know the deaths of Ned and Catelyn and Rob that's still standing. So, I mean, if it was Arya, that would be cool. But I, I don't know. I I, I, don't, I genuinely don't know what Arya's finale is going to be. That's the biggest one of the biggest question marks to me is I, because it just feels like Jamie killing Cersei fits better for me. What do you think, Gags? I want it to be Arya, to be honest, to kill her. It, 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 it would, I, I just don't think Jamie would do it. I just don't think he would. And I think he's going to die a lot earlier than that, which will force her into, to go crazy. And um, I, I don't think he goes back to kill her. That would be a really good, cool thing if Jamie kills her. But you know he loves her like mad. And I think the, the payoff, if there's one of the payoffs that you definitely want to get from this show is Arya, you know, she can't kill Joffrey, you know, and uh, she has to, she has to get that revenge for her dad. She has to. And he, you know, killing Cersei would be the the biggest one from that first season, which we're all still waiting for. We're still waiting for that payoff. That has to come. Her brother as well. That, you know, she's done her brothers already. Yeah, she did that. The start of season seven, she got that one. But for her dad, she hasn't done that one. She needs to get that one done. And I think one, I think we're all desperate to see that one as well. Jessel, I don't know if you agree. 
You know what? I I have mixed feelings about Arya because I you know I love her as a character and her journey has been fascinating and everything like that. But she's still she's just a crazy psychotic <laughs> assassin who you know just happens. She's like Oleg on a social, you know, she's this baby faced assassin and she just gets away with murder quite literally. And everyone's like, oh, she's so cute. Oh, yeah, I want her to win and, you know, tick off everyone off her list like it's a shopping list or a to do list for Thursday. Do you know what I mean? It's like, no, she's killing people. She's constantly killing these people. And OK, you could argue that the people that she's killing are obviously not the nicest people in the world. But what has that made her? Uh, you know, she's clearly not a nice person anymore. She's a cold blooded killer. And you could say, well, that's a means to an end and she's doing it for certain reasons. But, you know, she's still taking the law into her own hands. And I, I don't know, like, I, I feel like she's got enough revenge, frankly. I think she needs to take a chill pill, frankly, and just kind of reset herself get back into the family network and her family can be like, okay, girl, you need to chill now. You, you, you've done all this stuff. Work on being a good person now again and work on kind of stabilizing your psychotic tendencies and your killer tendencies. I think that would be a better way for her to progress, to be honest. I don't think they're kind of sitting around the Christmas tree mate in this case. <laughs> yeah, the, what, you, what you're fucking bringing me here is kind of a Thanksgiving Christmas type of feel. There's none of that shit happening. The dead are coming to kill them. They are, they are embroiled. They have had a history. They have, she has grown up on the streets pretty much running, learning, blinded, beaten, stabbed. She has gone from pillar to post, witnessed deaths. There is no room for family outings in this for me, unfortunately. This is as, this is as violent and as sick as it gets. And it's probably the only time where you want anyone to go and kill people and a young girl to go kill people. This is it. This is it. You want it to happen from my point of view. I don't see any of the fun stuff. There's not going to be any of that. If there's one scene with all the brothers and sisters of the, the old Stark family together, what who remains and they have a drink, that'll be, that'll be all you'll get. After that, I think they're all going to be going at war and fighting and running and stabbing. And this is going to be crazy. So from my point of view, it would be poetic justice for Arya. But, you know, it could be it could be anything. But before we move on and, 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 and you know, we've gone into final predictions here with the uh, with Scott. So before we do anything else, you were talking, you both were talking about Tyrion Um about how where he's been, I think he's one of the most travelled, well travelled in the show. He's been so far and wide, and even in the first season, he was being pulled from pillar to post. He went from King's Landing to the the Wall to then uh, he was where, where where was he with um he was where where Aaron's from? Um, he's in the Vale. He's in the Vale. Yeah, he's locked up over there and looking at the skies. It's like mental. There's so much going on with him, and then he's back, and then he goes through the trials, and then uh, and then he goes off to the other side of the world with Danny. It's just one of the most tra- well-traveled, well-rounded, most maturing characters. And for me, um, which one? I mean, what do you guys think of it? Is as a prediction for him, how does it how does it end for Tyrion? I know you said you see him on the Iron Throne or you would like to Jessel, but do you really see that? Where do you see it end for for um, for Tyrion? Do you see him die in any of these battles? 
I mean, personally, I, I think you've got some tentpole characters in Game of Thrones where exactly what you said, the, the journey is, is what they've brought to the, 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 the real picture here. You know, you've got John and Danny and Arya as well. And Tyrion is one of those who's had this fascinating journey. You know, I mean, when I think of Tyrion, I think of him in the brothels, just like having a laugh in the brothels. And then you, what you were saying, I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Remember that and remember this. And, and he has done so much fascinating stuff. You know, do I think he's going to be on the Iron Throne? I'm not sure. I think it would take a lot of other people to die first, basically, for him to to end up there. Um, I mean, personally, I think I think he'll make it, and you know, it, it would be great if he was if he continued to be like the right hand to Danny or something like that. You know, uh, as as an advisor. But it's Game of Thrones. I don't know if he'll make it. I can't see all of those tentpole characters making it till the end. Um, it's doubtful, basically. I mean, what, what do you think, Scott? I actually want to ask you a different question, Scott, because oh. I think he's answered it well. Right. I want to ask you, does he, you asked me this last one, but now after all this, do you think he turns? Do you think he turns and, and becomes a Lannister again? Or does he stay with Danny? I think he stays with Danny because I think that's the arc of the character. And, and to some extent, it's the arc of the show. You know, one of the, the themes about Danny and matching the show is Danny wants to break the wheel. She wants to make a better world. That's what Varys wants to do. We asked all along, what was Varys's true motivation? It was, well, he wants to change the way the world is, you know, not to have the, you know, the powerful and the rich, you know, crush the poor and the unpowerful and to take advantage of them. So it's about making a different world. And I don't know if we're going to get a happy ending or not, but for me, if we get something approaching a happy ending or on a positive note, I think it's going to be that. I think it's going to be the survivors are going to make a better world than what we saw at the start of the show with all these bitter, you know, warring faction factions. It's going to be something different. And I think Tyrion is essential to that. You know, you and Gags, you and I talked about in the preview pods or the recap pods, I should say. Just I thought that he hadn't changed a ton, you know, because I thought he was always a good person. It's just, you know, he had focused so much on, like Jessel said, you know, being in the brothels and drinking and he's gotten rid of some of that. And he's focused on what do I want my life to be? And that's what he had to make a choice after he killed his father. And and, you know, he was drinking himself into oblivion. And he made the choice of because he talking to Varys. Well, what do I want the next phase to be? Am I just going to kill myself or Am I going to go on? What is my purpose? And I, and I think that's why Tyrion would would fit. If he makes it to the end, he would have a chance to be a part of that better world. He would have to be. He could be the better Lannister, not the cruel Lannister, not the Lannister only concerned about money and power like Cersei, but a Lannister that would be a force for good, kind of what Jaime has become. So, yeah, I mean, it would be interesting if he turned on his family, but. Or turn it on John and Danny, but I just don't see that there's going to be Lannister sitting on the throne at the end. It just doesn't feel that's the arc. I, I feel that the way this ends is with that phase of the Lannisters being extinguished and something better arising from the ashes. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the best thing would be for the Night King to sit on the throne. It just would be the end of ends because it means all the prequels have more meaning. We need mm-hmm. to know how that happens. But yeah, it would be. An- it would be nihilist. It would be, hey, here's Game of Thrones, eat at Arby's. You know, nobody wins. <laughs> you know, this would be that. So, you know what? I'm going to stick with you here. Um, I I, I want to come to Theon later because I, I don't see him as a core um, character, Scott. So, I want to go with John and Danny because they are core. So, do you think, Scott, will they live? 
You know, uh, or will will they both carry on living in this, or will one of them or both die? What's your take? I'm of the belief. I think it would be odd if both of them lived, and it would be odd if both of them died. It seems like one of them has to be, you know, have the hero's arc, but one of them has also maybe the hero's sacrifice too. And I think that's why if you had one of them live and one of them die, you could accomplish that. Because like Jessel said, you're going to have to lose some temple characters. It's a, it's Game of Thrones. And B, it just it would feel weird if everything is sunshine and rainbows at the end. It feels like it's going to be bittersweet. There'll be some good things. There'll be some things that will be crushing. I mean, I took the day off work after the finale because I know that it's just going to be I'm not going to want to do anything but rewatch or I'm going to be in a daze. But that's how I feel about John and Danny. And and I mentioned before, you know, which of them could live if we think they're going to have a kid it does feel like danny would be the, the more natural one because i don't think there's a time jump but if john were to live and there was also going to be a kid you would have to have a time jump i mean it's just biology to some extent you know the nine months and all that but that's where for me i think it's going i personally think the arc will be john will sacrifice himself to help danny and his kids live and then they can sit on the throne and that you know they'll be the true targaryens you know to take on after he's gone um, Jessel, do you see it differently? Do you think it could be both or do you think they both might kick the bucket? I completely agree with you. I think it will be one or the other. And, um, I think it's going to sound really ridiculous, but Amelia Clark is really good at crying and she's really good at these kind of tragic roles. And, and I, I just like, there's this film, like it's based on a Jojo Moyes like book from three years ago called me before you. And in it, she, she just cries like half the film and the audience is all just crying and it's like a real weepy and I can just see her obviously she's not had that role up till now but as a big emotional payoff I could just see Amelia Clark um yeah I can see John sacrificing himself or I could see her dying in childbirth basically those are the two kind of things that I can see the other thing is that I mean in terms of I'll get to it later but I'll give you a glimpse now what if there is no iron throne at the end what if whoever gets it destroys it and then that's it it's like like you said before she always wanted to break the wheel so you know it would be interesting if that happened um so I think yeah I'm with Scott I think it's one or the other out of of John and Danny how about you, Gags? Okay, I'm going to ask you a really weird one with this. Do you think there is any kind of chance that if Danny finds out he's been hiding, that he's the heir to the throne, she starts to get worried that he's going to he's gonna try and kill her and she starts getting those doubts and then there's a bit of a, a, a Targaryen, you know, battle? Because ha- it's happened in the past. There are stories... Of them fighting over thrones. I'm just saying, is there a chance that this goes, they flip it. If they win the battle with the dead, they flip it. And it becomes a bit of a, ooh, between the two. I'm just putting it out there. Anything can happen. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly, I mean, I think there's definitely going to be the reveal of the parentage where they both know about it and they talk about it. And, you know, Danny, yeah, she wants to break the wheel, but at the same time, she wants to rule Westeros. I don't think she's just going to go through all of this just to break up all the kingdoms and say, all right, everybody on their own. I think she does want to have some of that egg on the conqueror, which she wants to be in control. She wants to rule, but she'll do it differently. She'll do it with empathy and, and, you know, care and respect for the people instead of just crushing them and abusing them. 
But I think that that's going to be huge between her and John because that is going to be a threat. I mean, she's worked for this her whole life. This is something, you know, maybe she didn't always think she would be on the throne. But once, you know, she started to come into her power, I mean, she feels that it's her right. You know, she's going to take it with fire and blood. And if John, you know, the world now says, oh, this is actually the son of Rhaegar Targaryen. Well, he's the male heir and he actually should have a better claim. I think that that's going to be a great moment of conflict. And that could now they could get through yeah, it because she spent all her could, life trying to get this this throne, man, or at least most of her adult life. So yeah, she, how can you just switch she's just going to give it up? Yeah, exactly. How do you switch it off? It's a real problem. It's a real issue for someone who's gone through. Remember, this girl's gone through her own hells, right, to get here. And why would she just switch it off? Why, Jessel? Why would you switch it off? How? I, I don't think she will switch it off, but I think the baby is key to this because right. all along she's thought that if she can't a have baby. a child. If there's a child, I think that the odds are pretty high. I'm with Scott on this. Um, if there is a baby, she's thought the whole time that she cannot have children. You know, ever since season one, she's like, no, can't have them, can't have them. And then if she can, that would change her whole mentality. And it could be for better or for worse. We don't know. The other thing is, is that what I think would be really interesting is that if Johnny, uh, Johnny, if John and Danny do both live. <laughs> I like Johnny. Johnny, Johnny and Dan. Johnny and Dan. Yeah. <laughs> I've just come up with something there. Um, if they both live and their child lives, right, hmm. then basically they could have a little discussion. It's kind of like I was talking about this at the dinner party last night. You know, <laughs> it, it could be basically like. Um, you love like your family get together. <laughs> it's like a maternity and paternity thing, right? You know, like, like men are, are entitled to like 10 weeks of paternity leave right yeah. but it realistically they only ever get a couple they take a couple and then get a lot of pressure from work to come back or maybe they split it up and stuff like that so maybe you know danny has the baby and john's like well look you know i don't really want to be on the iron throne i'll look after the baby i'm cool you know you, you take you take your time i'll do the paternity leave you sit on the throne it's all good right they could come up with something like that that's quite kind of it might sound insane but it's kind of a reflection of modern society and and what's happening right now it could be something like that if they both live which i very much doubt so you know i think it will be a bittersweet ending of, of in any way I still, I'd still love to see the Iron Throne just destroyed, you know, figuratively and literally on screen. I'd love to see someone just smash the shit out of it, get a dragon just to literally just like, you know, melt the hell out of it. Basically, exactly. If the if the Night King takes over, right? I just think it, it, he doesn't give a shit about a throne. He just wants to kill and take over. There will be no kind of oh, I want to go sit on that. It's just about killing everything and everyone. So I think you might actually get to see that if the Night King is victorious. He just destroys the entire realm. And so I can't like, see it. Cause I can't see it. I just can't see it. No, no, no. I'm just saying that's if there's one way of a throne getting destroyed, that's it. Otherwise, no chance. Or, hang on a sec. What if around episode three or something, the battle happens and the Night King wins? And then the rest of it is about them all grouping together in like an Empire Strikes Back alliance kind of thing and trying to overthrow the Night King. And then that's like the remaining two or three episodes. It that could be, be something. Pretty, like that would be pretty cool. That would actually be very cool. Very yeah, cool. but also continue it through the whole season and then of, instead of just separating it where it's, all right, well, the first part is we're going to deal with the White Walkers and the dead, and then the second part will be among the living. It would be cool if they could interweave both plots until the end. It would just be – it would. I wonder what it would take to get 
even Cersei to care about joining up with the living to beat the dead. I mean, she she just wants to sit the Iron Throne. She doesn't care about anybody else really and how that happens. So, but that would be an interesting way to do it. Um, I could if John were the one living though, and Danny died, I could see him not wanting to see the Iron Throne. I mean, yeah, he's reluctantly taken up these positions of power, and maybe he would reluctantly take up the crown. But if he were the one living, you know, and Danny died, and it was him and the child, it seems like he would just be more focused on the child rather than ruling the Seven Kingdoms. It doesn't seem like that's something he wants to do. So then maybe that's what the show becomes. It's the breakup of you know the crown, and then it goes back to the old days where each kingdom rules itself. Interesting. Interesting indeed. So, oh my God. Well, I think, is there enough covered there on John and Danny Scott? Are you happy with that? Can we can move on? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the only last point I would have is I, I really could see Danny sitting on the throne because another one of the parts of the show is the female empowerment. And that's why I think, you know, we'll talk about the next part is who's our guaranteed to survive. I think Sansa lives too. I, I think you, Danny and Sansa, and you see these women who had been, you know, they had to go through all these trials and they were beaten down and they were repressed. They rise up to these positions of power. It seems like that's been one of the themes of the show too. So I think that that could fit both for Danny, but also for Sansa. I don't think she lives. Jessel, do you agree with that? Do you think Sansa stays alive? We'll go through these pretty quick. I, I think Sansa will stay alive. Yeah, I think she might. She might even be the one remaining Stark, like out of John and uh, Arya. So fucking and disappointing. Bran. I don't know. I mean, you know, things happen, don't they? Like, if you're looking at it's the all Lannister... their fucking fault. <laughs> the whole but, fucking you know... thing's their fault. I blamed her so... in the last show. She, I told you, should have listened. I blamed everything on Sansa. She's a, she's her fucking. She's a, as they say in Punjabi, the poor jar. She's the problem. She is the start of all the problems for Ned Stark. It is all her fucking fault. She don't deserve to stay alive. Sorry, I'm getting angry. I mean, Littlefinger might have had a role or two in there. Clearly, she was a dumb child and she didn't understand what was happening. But, you know, I think by, by the end of season six, I mean, when she, she brings the veil and that's who helps win the Battle of the Bastards, I, I, I think she takes up a role of prominence. And she was, I mean, you could argue again, maybe that was one of the the faults of season seven where she seems kind of an idiot like are you wait you're gonna trust little finger over your sister but you know she's kind of learning she's kind of coming into her own and she's having agency and i think that's a big thing for you know a lot of the women in the show is they have no agency to start out with you know they're mm. you know I'll, they're I'll just sold yeah. and traded away and both, and so Jessel, but so, for so i'm thinking just just before we move on to another one just I'm, I'm thinking that's what you agree with there from what scott said then i definitely agree with the female empowerment i do think sense is going to live so I, I, I think it just makes sense. She's had an amazing journey as well. She's one of those characters. It's not, it's not quite as obvious with, with the kind of like fancy elements and dragons and faceless blokes who no, teach you how to kill harsh. everyone and all that hers kind of stuff. Harsh, hers yeah. is, hers is the most realistic yes, journey of, totally. of like an average woman in this world, effectively, you know. So I think that's the, she's probably the one that I, I reckon a lot of women can probably identify with Sansa more than anyone else because they don't have dragons. And they don't have this. They're, they're oh, just well, yeah. a person who's gone from a daughter to a wife to someone who could rule something, you know. So yeah, I think yeah. I think that would be pretty interesting, to be honest. And at the end of the day, Danny has had power for a long time as well. It's not like she's been beaten the whole way. Whereas Sansa's only just really become the lady. She's been she's been sold so many times, you know, pretty much, or or even abused, and it's just not good. Um, sorry, Scott, I did interrupt you. No, no. Uh, those were the kind of thoughts I had. But yeah, I mean, I just thought that there were a couple ones nailed on to survive. I think we'd already talked about, I thought Tyrion would survive. I thought Sansa would survive. And the other big one for me is, 
you know, I think this is a little some of the meta commentary. It feels like Sam's going to live. That would be some of the, the the sweet ending to it. You know, somebody who's a truly good person who's mm-hmm. also you know been disrespected by his family, you know, his father, and had to go. Who's been literally beaten, but it just feels like he would be a cool part of the show. But the meta commentary, you know, for him to live. But the meta commentary is, you know, kind of how with Lord of the Rings, you had Bilbo wrote the story of the Hobbit from there and back again. Well, it seems like Sam is kind of the proxy of George R. R. Martin. You know, he's the one who might live and then be the one to write the tale of, you know, basically everything that's happened in the show. So I I could see something cool like that where he he's like, yeah, you know, it ends with him talking about how he's going to write write it all down so that everybody remembers and it's all fit quite well Jessel, in terms of all the maesters like kind of dying or getting battered as the houses fall and he's now arrived at winterfell in time for this war i reckon he's going to be their medic kind of guy now in the war he's going to be the guy who ties people back together you know fixes things you know any injuries or whatever this is the you know sam's got this really important role now where He's just been through a massive thing. They've proven that he's an artist when it comes to fixing things with with what he did with Sajora. That apparently, you know, they they sold it as if maesters have come and gone and died and killed people and died themselves by doing what he tried to do. And he got it bang on in one go, which shows that there's intellect, you know, absolute brilliant, you know, skill involved in what he does and he knows and he is good for something, not good for nothing. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be one of the key characters, really. He will have his moment to shine, and it could be in any capacity. But the, the interesting thing about him is that, you know, it's that, that convergence of art and science and, you know, just really hard work from the ground up. Like, the things he had to do. I remember there was that montage of him just having to, like, clean toilets and the floor oh, and prepare God, food and all that kind right. of stuff, you know. And and he's he's put the yards in. He really has. And and in the end, you know, he could be the most crucial character in certain capacities because he has that knowledge. You know, he's the Wikipedia now of Game of Thrones because the rest of them don't have a clue. You know, if it's about Valerian Steel or about this or about that, he's really kind of put the work in. So there will be knowledge that he has that no one else has, and it will come into play at a crucial time. So, yeah, I can't wait for him to have his shine, to be honest. I hope he makes it as well. I hope he he survives, basically. Yeah, and I wonder... I wonder what's going to happen when he finds out that his best friend's lover torched his brother and his dad. I wonder. I really, really wonder what's going to happen. Um, that's going to be a very interesting theme when it does happen. Uh, Varys then, Scott. Yeah, I mean, it seems like you're going to get some of the a mix of both. You're going to get a mix of some of the big characters are going to survive. And then some of the, the smaller ones, I mean, people like Bronn and the hound and the mountain, you know, they're going to be in the line of fire. Varys probably won't, you know, unless the battle Winterfell goes really wrong, but it seems like he'll be away from the front lines. And he's just one of those guys, like I said, that's going to be a, if they, it, the show ends where they're going to make a better world, it feels like he would fit into that because he's been trying to do that the whole time. So plus, you know, it's always great to see him and Tyrion have those scenes together. You know, season five ended like that where they had the reunion at Marine and talking about, you know, Tyrion talked about how much he missed Varys and, you know, they're the advisor role and you're going to need those type of people uh, to end. And plus, you know, I don't know if his death would really fit anything or serve any sort of narrative purpose. It seems like he would do better to live and be part of what comes next. 
I totally agree with that. Any anything on Varys? It's probably not as much to talk about really with him, Jessel. No, no, I completely agree. Scott summed it up perfectly. Okay, so the last one uh, that we did want to talk about in terms of final predictions was Theon. Will he get his redemption? Will he sacrifice, sacrifice himself for Yara? And does anyone really give a shit, Jessel? I care, man. This guy is like the Jordan Henderson of, of uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, he's going to score. He's going to score. He's going to come off the bench and put in a great goal. This could be it. You know, He could be the one lifting it at the end. of the, He could lift the Iron Throne at the end of the season. You just don't know. Like, I mean, okay, realistically, not that. But in terms of he could be the one who who's get, who gets ragged on, who's made a number of poor choices over the years, who's had his dick chopped off you know what i mean like he's just had these bad things constantly happen to him and it would be he could fitting. have a redemption it would you know? be fitting for him to save them all in a way to show his manhood to show his it would be fitting for him to die in such a way that's written that he he saves the starks it would be fitting it would really really be fitting because it would the whole journey would be worth it scott i think yeah, I mean, if he has that true sacrificial moment where it's only him that can do something that really saves the day and he has his moment of redemption, I mean, that could be a good arc. I mean, it seems like a, he's done a little bit already, you know, obviously helping Sansa escape from Winterfell. But then too often he has these moments where, you know, he he's had the choice to, to do the right thing or sacrifice himself. And even in season seven, he jumps off the boat and lets Euron take his sister. So it's just... I don't know if he'll ever get his true redemption moment, but even just the small moment of him saving Yara and giving his life for hers might be enough. But, you know, like I've said a couple of times, I thought one of the, the biggest, most important parts he had near the end of the show was just him being used in a conversation where John is telling him, you know, you get to pick your identity. You can be a Stark and a Greyjoy. I thought it was, he was, that conversation was more important to foreshadow what happens for John. So I, I think Theon might end up just being some filler in season eight, but I, I and as Jessel's point, I hope people like Jordan Henderson a hell of a lot more than Theon. He clearly has not done many as bad things as Theon. <laughs> this is a guy who killed two boys, two random oh, farm boys, to cover up for his own you know, inadequacies. So I don't think Jordan Henderson, for all his faults, has gone that far. But I like the comparison. But yeah, it just it feels like if it if he's going to have his moment, it would be cool if he really does something to save the Stark family, not only his sister. If he well, truly yeah. you know, act of contrition. And kill Euron as well. That would be nice. Yes, that would be the perfect scene for him. To kill him, stop him doing something, save everybody else, maybe die himself as well, but definitely being the end of that twat, that would be perfect for for, for Theon. I don't see much else, sorry. Um, well, that whilst, you know, that is kind of like, you know, the end of the show, but there is a little section here that um, Scott wanted to focus on. Some odds, you've got some odds? On favourites, yeah. And let's stuff. go to the bookie. Why don't you go and go through these, and this will be interesting for me and uh, Jess. And we'll pop in and say, "Whoa, that's weird." Yeah, <laughs> if, yeah if I'll, we give you, I'll give you some, and then we'll bounce them off of you guys. You can tell me yeah. what you think. So, I think we've been kind of talking about, you know, who do we think is going to live? Who do we think is going to die? Who sits on the Iron Throne? We've kind of woven that in, but it's interesting because you know some of the public odds are out there. Kind of gives a tip on you know, who's the favorites and who's not. Like right now, like I said before, Leader in the Clubhouse is Brand Stark. He was at plus 150. He's gone down a little bit to plus 220. But after him, it's Jon Snow at plus 350. Sansa is at plus 500. So she's third most likely. Daenerys and Gendry are both at plus 700. And then the Night King comes in at Gendry? plus 1,000. Gendry! 
the fuck out of here, man. <laughs> well, I think that for Gendry, you know, the thought there is, well, he's a Baratheon. He had a former claim to royal blood. But, I mean, some of these seem a little ridiculous. You know, one of the ones on there is plus 1,000 is Peter Baelish. And nobody expects for him to be revived from the dead. Well, so, I well, mean, take well the odds there is a theory about Baelish. You do know this, don't you? That I don't know if the guy that died was one no. of the faceless men, and that the person, <gasps> the and that the person that he was, uh, there is a theory, there is a theory that Baelish is still alive, and this will be very music. This will be music to Jessel's ears here. Oh yes, so please Jessel, be true. Please the theory be is true. there was a scene where he was speaking to someone in the in the wall in the in the corridors of Winterfell. Remember the scene? Speaking to someone in their ears, giving them some money, oh, yeah. sending yeah. them off. Yes. So apparently sending them off to the faceless men. Remember, he says he's traveled very well. He's seen loads of things. He knows lots of people. He has come from that part of the world as well. Bravas, I think. So there is a theory that the person they killed wasn't actually Baelish. And that he's playing a big, big game. And that he's running it from behind the scenes. And, uh, yeah, something interesting is going to go down. Do it. Do it. Please, God, do it. Just that would be the best thing ever. I would absolutely love it. I love Littlefinger. Amazing. That would be just the biggest twist. And, and like, I mean, sorry. Well, what do you still think is a twist after I've just it. told you about it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. But, I mean, like, it is impressive how secretive they've kept everything. Like, there there have been very few leaks or anything like no. that, really. And and the other thing is, is obviously, this, this isn't now based on the book. So it really is an open text. And I love that. I just absolutely love it. So when Scott's kind of going through these odds, I'm like, well, anything could happen. You know, it's fascinating. Yeah. What do you think of the little yeah, theory, that's... Scott? I think it, with the fantasy elements of the show, I, and obviously we have to understand that this isn't just an exact science and not everything has to be explained perfectly, but I think it would be a stretch then because in order to use Baelish's face, Baelish would have to be dead. So then it would be thought, well, maybe Littlefinger was never really, quote unquote, Littlefinger. He was kind of a faceless man type all along. So that ah. that, that, that creature behind the face may still be alive, just the way Jock and Hakkar his true identity is probably not the one he's shown to Arya. He's someone, he is a person, but he's become, you used to be someone, but he's become no one. So maybe that sort of machinations where the Peter Baelish, that was just a face. That might be, but again, you know, I think we had talked about a little, you know, I was talking with Jessa before we because started the Because it does the, explain the though, dude, how he gets to so many places so quickly. If it's different it faceless men... They just put the mask on. I know, but it's also tough because sometimes with the show is, you know, look, think of how quickly Varys got around at the end of season six, where he was going from from Marine to Dorne and back, and that's when so you got some. So, how interesting pre- would it be that these are just a load of faceless men? I think that that would almost cheapen the story, right? I mean, I think there has to be there has to be something. There, ha- come on, gags. We've spent so long. There has to be a payoff. If if everything is faceless men, no, and, I'm know, not saying like everything. Said, I'm saying two key players that are playing people off of each other. The whole fucking show turn out to be faceless men. That's why then Arya has such a fucking massive, massive part with the faceless men. You know, and apparently there's so much in the books that they haven't even covered with the faceless men with Arya. Like the training, there's so much. She is 
unbelievable, apparently, supposed to be training-wise with them. She is supposed to be so powerful, so, so powerful that, you know, in, in the books, she is uber-powerful. We just, they just haven't shown it. They haven't been able to do all that, go into that depth. So th- th- there could be so much at play that they could bring forth as a real good twist that makes sense, that's written well, but all makes sense when you go back and watch it and go, holy shit, that's a faceless man, holy shit, that's a faceless man, holy shit, that makes more sense, you know, it could be, who knows, just throwing it out there. Well, Arya Stark is plus 1600, so I mean, that would be a good, you know, dark horse to sit on the Iron Throne if you're going with the faceless man theory, that there's more that we were never told, or Mm. things like that, I mean, that would be an interesting way for it to end. The only thing is, yeah, there's a lot from that's not in the show that was in the books and it'll be curious to see what ultimately is put into the show. But I mean, the show still follows the major beats of the books. And sometimes when, you know, there's a lot from the books left out, it's kind of a tip off by the showrunners because they were told most of the major beats by George R. R. Martin. So when they put things in the show that we haven't seen in the books or, or they only put so much into the show and there's so much left off the books. It kind of is like a tip on like, yeah, this is the stuff that's important, but you know, maybe that would be something because they're going to have to do something to, to, you know, blow everyone's minds away. So, you know, make people's heads explode. So that would be pretty wild if they do a true fantasy element like that, where it was just all this machinations behind the scenes. Um, but I, I was curious as to what both gags you and, and, and Jessel thought, about the fact that Cersei is pretty far down the list. She's at plus 2,500 and Jamie's at plus 4,000. So, I mean, these are 25 to 1 and 40 to 1 shots no, to sit the Iron they, Throne. They, it kind of tells us they're dying, right? Well, no, it tells you that they're losing and that the Lannisters have had their... They've been on the Iron Throne from the start, really, you know? Even even Rob Robert Baratheon was just a... You know, it, it was just a proxy, really, kind of thing for them. They were they were running things all around. They were paying for everything, you know. Everything was through them. The family was running it. Also, they've had the whole whole of this generation, so it would be stupid for them to end on it as well. After all that's happened, there is definitely a change of guard happening. So that I I I think that's realistic in terms of their odds. Uh, Jessel, do you agree? Yeah, I agree. I mean, that would be like Thanos still being in charge at the end of Avengers Endgame. Do you know what I mean? It yeah. just wouldn't really make sense. Like, you, you need to overthrow someone. So, well, then that doesn't mean doesn't that make you think then you know because the Night King is also up there as well. He's a plus one thousand. But I mean, that was kind of what I thought about the show. Is how do you think it's going to end? Is it going to be like Ramsey said in season three, where he says, "If you think this has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention." But can it end on a truly, I mean, like, what if Star Wars ended with episode five and it was just end of Empire Strikes Back and there was no return of the Jedi? Are we going to get an Empire wins type moment where the Night King sits on the throne and the White Walkers win? Or do you think the humans have to win in some fashion? Honestly, I don't think it matters in the end because I think there will be like a huge shock for whatever way the chips fall. There will be a big shock everyone won't be happy about something because you cannot please everyone with this kind of climax. And then gradually people will start to calm down and realize that that there's no perfect ending to this. And really the the greatness of the show is the whole show from start to finish in the journey. So in terms of the ending, I'm not pinning my hopes on on some amazing ending that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life in terms of, you know, as a a glorious way to to finish perfectly. I'm just going to be thinking in a hundred years time, people will watch Game of Thrones because I think it's that good a show to be honest and i think that's the main thing so 
an anticlimax is the only possible outcome for whatever happens. Personally, I'd like to see the Iron Throne destroyed and for Cersei, uh, for um, Danny to break the wheel. But even then, you know, you break a wheel, someone else will make a wheel. So, you know, it's only a matter of time before someone else, because uh, you cannot mitigate against greed, human greed and the the thirst for power and especially in in this kind of show so i I think that's the natural conclusion whatever happens someone else will thirst for power so i do like the destruction of the iron throne because it's so it's everything about it is the whole show is everything about that throne and i think the destruction of it would be a good signal good ending you know a way to signal it but i also i don't mind how they end it i just all i want like like just said is i just want there to be a feeling at the end, I want there to be something that you're either destroyed about or absolutely chuffed about, or a mix of both. That shit that happened, but yeah, that happened. That was good. You know, I just want it to be written well. I don't want it to be a fucking nonsense like Lost. You know, I just don't. I just don't want any bullshit happening. I want it to be a really good conclusion, really well written, and I don't mind who stays, who goes, who dies, as long as it's written well and it makes sense. Yeah. That is that is all that I would want from this show at the end. That's all. It, it could be as dramatic as it wants because that's beautiful. That's beautiful. But as long as it makes sense and it's 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 interesting and it's good and it leaves something with you. If something sticks with you, like I said at the start, it's the best thing ever. When something stick with you, they are the best things. If you want to talk about them when you walk out of the, the place or wherever you're watching it, you want to talk about it with somebody. Those are the best things. If it's just meh and I'm forgetting about it, no one's going to talk about it again no point so from my point of view it's not it doesn't matter about who what where just that it's good that is all that matters i think i completely agree like if the ending ends up being oh this is sam and he was writing a book and this was all fiction then i'm gonna throw my tv out of the window basically (laughs) i'll I'll be like no you cannot do that to me you cannot do that to me you can't do the dallas thing can you you can't do the dallas thing jr (laughs) yeah oh yeah woke up yeah sorted the fucking dream man that would that would just you know it would end everybody again. They would just be like, "Yeah, we're not watching." I'm not watching. There'd be riots in the streets. Like, I'm not watching the. Be... Well, if it was just a book, then the the prequels are going to be a load of shit. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, I think it'll. I have a great deal of confidence. You know, Game of Thrones has become my favorite TV show ever. But before that, it was Breaking Bad, and one of the things about Breaking Bad is it's a lot like Game of Thrones, and that every scene means something and. The showrunner, Vince Gilligan, had an idea when he started the show of how he wanted it to end. And I think the fact that the D.B. Weiss and David Benioff talked to George R. R. Martin, they got the main beats of the story, and they knew, well, this is how it's supposed to end. Well, how do we get from point A to point B? And that's when you know the ending and you know where you need to go, you can put in all the little plot points along the way. And I think, you know, it's like you guys said, I think when we look back on it, it's going to just be an amazing show from start to finish. And it may not be you know, a groundbreaking ending, but I think it's going to be earned and deserve it. And, you know, how Breaking Bad ended, spoiler, you know, with, with Walt, you know, in, uh, in the lab and he's dying, he's got the smile on his face and the song at the end, it, it just felt like great symmetry. And I think that for me, that's where this show is going to go. I think that it's going to be, you're going to be able to look back in season one and you're going to say, yep, I saw you can you can tie every part of you know the finale back to the beginning and and that it was always meant to be that way and whoever lives whoever dies and and I think that that symmetry that's why I like you know Danny on the throne and John sacrificing himself but it could go so many ways but 
I think it'll be well earned and and no, I don't I don't think it'll be all just some book or fever dream or somebody, but I, I think Sam will be the one to recap it at the end. You know, he'll be he'll, that'll be his legacy is to recap what happened since he was there. Yep, definitely they have the Maesters and you know, all the stuff everybody's writing stuff all the time into history. This'll this will be his story to write. He'll be the one who writes this one and files it or whatever. That 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 I can live with. That's fine. But um yeah, I think we've done everything. I know uh, one thing, Scott. Apparently, you're doing got premiere of finale parties or something in, in the US. Yeah, we've done this for many years now, dating back to season four. Because I got into it starting season three, and then it was kind of something I watched for myself. But once I started realizing so many of my friends watched it, we've been having premiere and finale parties, and we've been doing it for years. And it it's awesome. We have everybody comes over. You make a bunch of food, and then it's. It's great. You settle in and it comes on at, you know, eight o'clock here in central time zone in the U.S. And you know, turn the lights off and we've got 15, 20 people coming this year. And like I said, I, I took the day off work after the finale because I know it's just going to be so emotionally heavy after that finale. And we're going to do parties for both. But it's it's honestly my favorite day of the year. And last year sucked because it didn't happen. Um, but it's been a couple of years. But you know, each year. It's, you know, the the weather starts to get better here. It's springtime and that premiere party comes up. So it's, it's a lot of fun. What are you guys? What do you guys do to get ready for the big day? No, no, there's nothing like that here. <laughs> oh, come on. You know what? We want to listen to me, right? All this premiere bullshit stuff, yeah? We don't even get together for fucking part birthdays no more. It's bullshit, right? So what we do is, what we do is we stay up till fucking 2 a.m. to watch it when it's fucking aired in the USA. That's what we do. Because because oh, yeah. the premiere is at 2 a.m. Who's going to have a fucking party at 2 a.m.? You tell me on a Sunday night when Monday we got to go work. Why don't they release the fucking show on a Saturday so someone can actually stay awake and watch it and then sleep in on a Sunday? That's what I want to know, mate. That's the tragedy of this show, frankly. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's great for students who don't have any lectures on a Monday. But the rest of us, I don't I don't even, like, wake up or stay up till 2 in the morning. I go to sleep and wake up at, at 5 in the morning. Five. Yeah, basically. yeah, that's the best way. Yeah, Me too. Like, that's the only way I can do it. Otherwise, I'd just be like, I, I would be, be one of the walking... Yeah, I'd be one of the white walkers for the rest of Monday, basically. So, I mean, I'm not black. The irony, the irony of a, a show with entirely British actors, and then they force all of you Brits to watch the show at just completely terrible times is simply stunning. <laughs> Frankly, kind of hilarious. Literally, but, literally, know. I have to wake up early, like like Jessa said, wake up and watch it at five, because yeah. I do not want it to be spoiled when I go on Twitter, because there's, yeah, exactly. there's always a twat in the morning. That will be like, oh my god, X person died in the face. I can't you believe it? And you're like, shut the <laughs> fuck up, man. What's your problem? Why are you talking shit? No one's watched it yet. Like, there should be a rule. And look, I had a fucking proper rant on Twitter last night about racism and stuff. Go and read it. But there should be a rant about Game of Thrones stuff as well. Spoilers. That's another thing. The racism thing's far more important, obviously. But spoilers and Twitter is another problem, a lighthearted one, but it is definitely an issue. Movies, TV, spoilers on Twitter is disgusting. The the people who find it necessary to go online and spoil things for other people are just a a subcategory of people that we need to ban from the internet. But, you know, I I feel bad for you guys. That that is a silly o'clock time, as Nina would say. But now you guys get a little taste of what we deal with here in the States. We have to wake up in the morning to watch these matches. But you know what? The crazy of us, we either stay up all the way or we find other people who are crazy just like us and are mm-hmm. going to get up at weird times and we get together and we go drink and have fun. So I, 
I suggest maybe even for the finale, get some people together. It's it's a it's a shared experience that I think will be worth it if you can find a bunch of crazy people who want to get together at you know two a.m. <laughs> well, yeah, I think for the finale, I might actually make an effort. You know, for, yeah. for um, Avengers Endgame, I'm going to the midnight showing of that. Oh, um, I, and... I, I couldn't go with anybody. Couldn't find anyone. To go with. But <laughs> yeah. I am going 11 a.m. the next day. So, or the next affair show after the midnight show, there's five of us going together. Uh, everyone thinks off. I'll be asleep. Just th- they'll be like, "You're just going to sleep through the whole thing." But I think I'll be all right. You know, I think in three hours and then, long, but. I know, I know. Maybe I didn't think this through, but let's just let's just do it and see what happens. So you know, I did it for Star Wars once. You best not it. tweet about it, son. I won't. I promise, I won't. Right. Last okay. thing I'll say is on the Avengers. No, I don't know if you guys saw this, but they're doing a marathon where you can pay to go watch all the Marvel movies and then go into Endgame, and it's fifty nine hours, and you pay straight, <laughs> and you sit at a movie theater for sixty hours. It was like 125 bucks as there was a theater in Chicago. But it's like the middle of the week. It's absolutely insane. I think you would lose sanity. It's been crazy for me just rewatching Game of Thrones and rewatching 60 some hours of Game of Thrones to prepare no, for all these pods. No, I can't imagine. You'd almost have to do a clockwork orange style and have your eyes pried open. I to literally stay. was thinking about doing Infinity War and Endgame. From eight thirty in the evening to three. That's, in the that's morning. what I'm going to. Oh, that's what I'm just saying. Okay, so those one. were available in, in Cine World, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I still thought no. I've seen Endgame. I've seen Infinity War too many times to watch it again in the cinema right now. I need the Endgame only. So, anyway, we will be talking Endgame <laughs> very soon. All right, we will. We will. Jessel will probably be there as well. So, oh, yes. in the next couple of weeks, we'll talk Endgame and have a nice preview. Maybe Easter weekend, Jessel. Something like that sounds good. Yeah, sure. I haven't seen the trailer though, so don't, no, 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 don't worry trailer. about the trailer. Don't worry about the trailer. <laughs> I can We've learned off. a powerful lesson. Jessel yes. cannot be included for trailer discussions. He's like <laughs> exactly. agnostic. No more tra- trailer breakdowns <laughs> for Jessel. <laughs> but I am conscious we are now at one hour forty minutes of this podcast or oh, close yes. enough. And we need to go. Thank you so much for listening to Buzz. Game of Thrones is gonna be buzzing throughout the whole of April and May. So make sure, make sure you stick with Buzz because we are going to be covering every single episode, whether it be the same day or the day after. We will get this pod done on one of the times in the evening and uh, have a recap of every episode or at least our feelings and what we think is going to happen next. So uh, stay tuned to that. Buzz is going to be, it's going to be, but April is and May are going to be massive for this show. So yeah, stick with us. Thank you very much to Jussel. Thank you very much to Scott. I'm sure you'll be hearing a lot more of these two on the show as well. We'll catch you very, very soon. Network.